Amen. Well, let's put it up here and just stand long enough for us to read this, and then we're going to be seated. Uh, We are going through the Sermon on the Mount. Well, we're talking about being an apprentice, but I'm going to begin talking today about the toughest or harder sayings of Jesus. I'm going to call this, say what? Now, I want to warm you up so we can try this together. So let's count to three. I want you to say with real feeling, say what? One, wait a minute, hang on, they're they're ready to go. One, two, three. Now, I think that's what people said a lot of the time when they heard Jesus. I don't have biblical proof, but I know people, and some of the things he said, it was a great big. That's right. I'm going to talk to you about some of the ones that are hardest to understand. Now, we're going to begin here. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what, everybody? Puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house, yet it, what, did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, here's another bunch. But everyone who hears these words of mine and what, does not Put them into practice. There's the rub. Hearing but not doing is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Can this person be saved? Yes. You can be going to heaven and not build your house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, beat against that house, and what happened to it? It fell with a great crash. Let's go to the next one. Is that it? That's it. There ought to be one more. Don't know what happened to it. That's okay. Oh, that's later. That's later. Boy, they're with it today. Can you hear them? There it is. Right, 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 right. We're ready today. I'm telling you. All right. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you better perk up and listen. God's going to speak to you today. We're talking about being an apprentice of Jesus Christ. After almost 25 years of pastoring, you see the underbelly of the church. You see the the flaws and weaknesses that are in the church as well as the strengths. And I realized uh, some time ago that there was a disconnect in the lives of a lot of people. Uh, They were not experiencing the abundant life. They were not experiencing joy, weren't walking in peace, and yet they were saved. That's a disconnect because Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So I began to uh, sort of look into why this would be. And I really believe the disconnect has to do with we're great at presenting Jesus as Lord and Savior, but we're not great at learning how to be discipled by him, apprenticed by him, because discipleship means you hear and you do. I also saw that in the Bible, the Bible doesn't recognize a Christian that is not also a disciple. The Bible writings assume that those of us who are saved by the blood of Christ are also walking in discipleship, hearing and doing. The letters written to the church assume that we're walking in discipleship. 
But a lot of believers, for some reason, in America, we call it theological flu. The theological flu is we were told, get saved and you got your ticket to heaven and that's all you need. But that's not all you need. You need to also be discipled. You need to walk in discipleship. You need to walk in the word. So Jesus said, the house built on the rock is the one who heard and practiced what he heard. The one that built on the sand whose house crashed is the one who heard but did not practice it. Good message, pastor. And they walk out the door and forget everything they heard. Almost one-sixth of the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or what has been called the talk on the hill, almost one-sixth of the entire talk on the hill has to do with doing what you heard. Fifteen of 92 verses deal with doing what you heard. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these words of Jesus' teachings. Here's what he said, quote, The only proper response to this word which Jesus brings with him from eternity is simply to do it. That's the only proper response. I see in my studying the Bible that if you don't do it, you're not going to experience the abundant life. You're not going to walk in peace. You're not going to walk in joy. And you're not going to walk in victory. So we need to hear the word of God today. We need to hear and do. Say with me, he's not just my Lord. He's my teacher in all things in life and living. Yeah. Now, let me make the suggestion that born-again, heaven-bound Christians who have been washed in the blood often don't live out in action the things that Jesus taught for one of two reasons. Here's why they don't do it. They don't do it because they're not knowledgeable of what he said. And that's the pulpit's fault. The people of God ought to know what Jesus said. When I come to church, I don't want to hear three points in a poem. I want to hear about Jesus. So they're not knowledgeable. They don't know what he said. Or they don't believe that what he said is realistic for 21st century living. They don't believe it. No teacher is more misunderstood than Jesus Christ. I hear him misquoted, misinterpreted, misrepresented all the time. Uh, I was uh, listening to a news anchor just recently. He was interviewing a man who was comparing Islam to Christianity. And in defending the charge that Islam was violent, this man brought out the words of Jesus, and he quoted Jesus' words when Jesus said, if a man hate not his father, mother, wife, and children, he cannot be my disciple. And that's the way he quoted it. He said, you see, Jesus taught hate too. And the news announcer went, yeah, of course, we all know that. But Jesus never taught hate. That word hate comes from a Greek word that simply means to love something less than something else. All that Jesus was saying is you ought to love me more than your father, your mother, your wife, your children. And that's what it's all about. He is our ultimate supreme love. That's all that he meant. But it was misquoted. He's misunderstood. He's misrepresented. But if anybody understands what Jesus taught, it ought to be the church. We ought to understand what our Savior meant when he said what he said. Jesus' teachings are also 
very misunderstood by many people who are going to heaven today. And I believe that this is a great hindrance to embracing Jesus Christ as your teacher, your leader, your philosopher in all things in life and living. He was the most brilliant man that ever lived. No philosopher on earth in the history of the world, starting with the Greeks and moving forward, can touch Jesus. He understood life at its core and made it so simple that everybody can understand. He had no IQ. You couldn't measure his IQ. He created IQ. I don't care what you do for a job. Jesus understands your job. If you're an engineer, you can ask him for wisdom. If you're a psychologist, nobody understands the soul like Jesus. I could go on and on about this. I could go on and on about Jesus. Why are we here today? We're not here because of a religion. We're here because of a man named Jesus who died for our sins. So seeing that he is so misunderstood, in the next few weeks, I want to deal with some of his toughest sayings, sayings that when you hear them, you say, that's right. Boy, some of them really like this. I'm fairly certain that when he said some of the things he said, that's exactly what they responded with. Say what? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. She thinks I need water. I'm really fine, but that's good. Maybe she had a vision, and I'm going to need it in a minute. One time, this is true, I was chewing on a Tic Tac, and it stuck in my throat. And I was coming down the stairs to make a point, and that thing got stuck in my throat. You talk about praying quick without being able to say a word. I said, Jesus, help me. And right when I thought I was going down, it came dislodged. There was another time. I had one in my mouth, and it shot out when I was preaching. (laughs) And here's the miracle. I caught it right there. (laughs) Caught it. It it, it raised my credibility because they said, if he can do that, he's anointed. I mean, it came out like a BB, and and put it right back in and kept on going. I know the Holy Ghost helped me with that one. I could just see somebody leaving church saying, well, I was sitting on the front row and got hit with a (laughs) tic-tac. It was really something. Now, we're about to look at the toughest sayings of Jesus are found in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of the toughest ones are found in the Talk on the Hill. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to understand something. Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount that when we practiced what he said, we would arrive at a kingdom heart. Our heart would be free. We would have a heart like his. The Sermon on the Mount is incremental. It's almost as if we're standing at a flight of stairs and Each thing Jesus taught takes you further up that flight of stairs until finally, when you reach the top, you've got a heart like his. Your heart is free. Your heart is filled with love. It is not encumbered with sin or guilt or condemnation or vice. It's free. 
How many of you want to be free? Now, Jesus knew you. He knew me. He understood the human psyche better than anybody who ever lived because he made it. And when Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, he starts out with the first issue, a premier issue in human experience, and it's the danger of anger. He deals with the danger of anger. And I want to put these verses up here. And I want you to notice what Jesus said. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Hang on, Marsha. Now, here's what he means by that. The scribes and Pharisees had the law. And everything had to do with action. Everything had to do with what you did. And he said, your righteousness, your walk, your relationship with God is going to have to go beyond mere outward action. Now let's go to the next. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, even in his own house, I hear that and I say, say what? Because if you're mad anywhere, you're mad in your house. Come on, everybody. Can I meddle today a little bit? We don't don't know you here. We know you if we live with you. Now, watch this. He says, even in his own house shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, Jesus there is dealing with the danger of anger. He's dealing with what he considered to be the first necessary step on the ladder, the first necessary step on the stairs to get your heart and my heart free. I've got to deal, he said, with the danger of anger. Now, what he's doing repeatedly on the Sermon on the Mount is he's saying, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, that was the law. That was Old Testament righteousness. But I say to you, and he takes righteousness to another level. He goes into our hearts. He says, the problem is not your actions. The problem is your heart. And if I can go into your heart and fix your heart, the actions take care of themselves. He tells us clearly his motive is to take us beyond the righteousness that the Pharisees knew. They were encumbered with laws and rules and regulations. They could hardly move without breaking a rule. Jesus said, I'm going to take you beyond that because the problem is not murder. The problem is anger. And I want to deal with your heart and I want to get the anger issue out. The righteousness of the Pharisees was completely and totally external. But a kingdom heart is internal. Jesus has dealt with our heart. I want you to know today he's after your heart. God is out to get you. But he's out to get your heart. He's out to change your heart. He's out to change the way you think and the way you see things and the way you feel about things. It's the heart where we're in bondage. It's the heart where we have vices. It's the heart that makes us either happy or miserable. Jesus said it's out of the heart that every sin comes out of the mouth. What you say comes from your heart. It's a reflection of your heart. 
where your treasure is. That's where I'll find your heart. So Jesus came to go beyond external action. And he came to come into our heart and change our heart. And he begins with the anger problem. That's where he starts. And remember, the Sermon on the Mount is progressive. He deals with issue after issue after issue of the heart. Until finally, at the end of chapter 7, we've got a kingdom heart. How many of you would like a kingdom heart? Jesus is going to change the heart of man. He deals with the anger problem. Think back with me to the very first major manifestation of sin in the Bible. After Adam and Eve had fallen, and if you'll remember, it was Cain, and Cain's problem was anger. The Bible says his countenance became very angry when God rejected his offering. And anger entered into the heart of man, fallen man. And the Bible says the Lord came to Cain and said, Cain, why are you angry? Now, there's a lot of great questions in the Bible that God asked, and that one just leaped out at me, and I think the whole world ought to be asked that question. Why are you angry? Can I tell you, you can be saved and go into heaven and be an angry man, an angry woman. Our world is being destroyed by anger. Turn on the TV, watch the news anytime. The majority of stories, the violent stories, the tragic stories are rooted in anger. Anger is devouring our world. It is leading the news. It's gobbling up humanity. In an overwhelming number of stories in the Bible where sin is involved, you also find anger right there. I suggest to you that Jesus knew that our primary problem was, number one, with anger. The fallen heart of man is an angry heart. We're angry about many different things. That's why the first issue the great psychologist Jesus deals with is anger and contempt for other people. And he was telling his disciples how to get rid of anger. The talk on the hill, the Sermon on the Mount, was delivered to his disciples, not the mass of humanity. I want to suggest to you, Peter had some anger, John had some anger, Mark had some anger, they all had some anger. Anybody in here ever been angry? Raise your hand. Anger can destroy your life. Listen to me on this one. I'm putting all my stock in what Jesus said. And Jesus said in the order of evil, anger is at the top of the list. According to Jesus, anger must be removed from our hearts if we're going to have kingdom hearts. We've got to submit to the, the divine scalpel on our hearts and be delivered from any root of anger, any root of bitterness, any grudge, any unforgiveness. It's got to come out if we want a kingdom heart. You're not happy if you're angry, I can tell you that. No way you're happy. Say, well, I get my energy from anger. No, you do not. Anger is eating you alive if you're an angry person. Anger is, a, anger is caustic. It's battery acid to the soul. Anger is destructive. You can be angry at God, angry at your spouse, angry at your coworkers, angry at the church. And Jesus is telling us, you want a kingdom heart? Let's get the anger out. Now, when does anger come in? First, I want you to understand, to initially be angry is not a sin. To initially be angry, anger is, is a response that God gave us as long as it doesn't go beyond the line. 
Anger arises. Here's when we experience anger. When someone or something obstructs our will, stands in the way of something we want. Every day, if you drive, you see it. Oh, you got in front of me. Get out of my way. You obstructed my will. And anger has gone in America to such a level, they will shoot somebody because they obstructed my will. Road rage. But that's only a manifestation of the heart that has fallen. The heart that, is, that needs to be redeemed by Christ. He wants anger out. He wants peace in and love and control. He doesn't want his kingdom kids, his apprentices, eaten up with anger. It's a natural reaction. For instance, if somebody comes up and tries, I saw a woman the other day on the news. Older lady, she was in her 80s. Some guy tried to rob her. She grabbed a bat and she beat him half to death. <laughs> it was cool. He walked in there and he said, I'm holding you up. He said, give me all your money. She was behind a counter. She got mad. And she said, she pulled out this bat. She was probably thinking, I've got one foot in the grave anyway. Here go. Walk. She hit him. She ran out from behind the counter, hit him. He ran from that place. That's healthy anger. That's Texas anger. Uh, but the kind of anger Jesus is talking about is the kind that becomes wrong. Listen to what the Bible says. If you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Don't let the sun set with you still angry. Get over it quickly, the Bible says, for when you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. You can be saved. And foothold, it comes from the, the Greek word topos, which means geography or land. You are giving up spiritual land, spiritual real estate. When you walk in anger, you let the devil into your life. Anger is a doorway into, into demonic activity. You say things, do things, think things that don't come from God. This is the anger that Jesus is addressing. It's anger with malice. Malice means I want to hurt you. That's what anger, if you're angry at somebody and you don't get over it quickly, you don't uh, get rid of it by the time the sun sets, it includes, that anger always includes a will to harm them, and that's malice, to damage them. And in church, we're slick with it. In church, we're slick with it because we know we can't go whoop them because everybody will see, well, you're not walking in the Holy Spirit. So we do it stealth-like. We, we show anger in hurtful words, gossip, disassociation from the person, Scornful looks. You ever gotten the look? The look? The look. The look says, I ain't going to say anything. I'm sure not going to whoop you because I can't because I'm in church. But I can sure give you the look. Uh-huh. I know all about you. Uh-huh. I got your number. God gave me discernment on you. No, he did not. He didn't anoint you to judge anybody. The Bible teaches that sin enters in 
when we nurse the anger, when you nurse it, your mind rehearses it, and in rehearsing it, you're nursing it. Here's what you're doing in essence. You're fellowshipping with the anger. Jesus said, don't fellowship with anger. Don't fellowship with it. Talk to it. Debate with it. Feed it. Strengthen it. Don't do that. Don't nurse it. Like you would nurse a plant that's wilting and you're wanting it to grow. When you rehearse what made you angry and run it over and over again in your mind, you're nursing it. You're feeding it until finally it grows. Jesus warned that even on the grudge level, just holding a good old American grudge, you're in danger of judgment. That's what we read, isn't it? Now, this is, this is, this is the way life looks to God, not you and me. Now, let me tell you what Jesus knew. He said you're in danger of judgment if you nurse a grudge and you don't handle your anger at your spouse, at your kids, at your parents, at your church folks, at your job, if you don't deal with the anger in your heart, anger is progressive. It's not static. It's not stagnant. Anger is progressive. It never stands still. It soon becomes low-burning resentment. He said, don't even have it in your house. Don't have it in your house. At this point, anger becomes toxic, church. Toxic. Like radiation. It seeps out of you when you walk into a room. You're radioactive. You ever had an angry person walk in the room? I've seen blessed people walk into rooms, anointed people. Something walks in with them. I love it. I love being around people who walk with God because when they walk into a room, you can feel the life come in with them. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to do. When I walk into a room, I want life coming out of me. I want blessing coming out of me. I want people to go, wow, do you sense God when they walk in? But when somebody angry walks in, it's toxic. You can feel it in a teenager, in an adult. Man, they're sitting there, their eyes are, their, their, their eyebrows are furrowed. There's invisible steam coming out of their ears. They're carting an attitude. They don't have a chip on their shoulder. They got a two by four. If you say anything to them, out it comes. You can say next to nothing, but somebody who is an angry person who has rehearsed and nursed their anger can explode in an inexplicable rage. And you go, where in the world did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from undealt with anger that has been nursed and rehearsed until it's bigger than they are. We are to be controlled by the Spirit of God as believers, as apprentices, and as disciples. We've been called to exude, to emanate, to release from us the life of God. Now, the second point in Jesus' teaching is this, and we need to catch this. This is kingdom heart we're headed towards. The second point in his teaching is that unchecked anger will lead to something far worse than anger, and it'll lead to contempt. Unchecked anger leads to contempt. Now, Jesus said, whoever shall say raka to his brother shall stand condemned before the Sanhedrin, which was the highest court in the land. He said, if you say to somebody raka, 
I don't even know what raka means, you're probably thinking. But it's, it's the heart attitude that's behind the word. Jesus said, if you come out with raka, you're in danger of court. Now, raka was an Aramaic term. In Jesus' day, it was used to express contempt and to mark somebody out as contemptible. Dallas Willard wrote these words, unlike anger, contempt is a kind of studied degradation of another person. It's more pervasive in life than anger. Anger comes and anger goes. Unless you allow it to remain and it becomes simmering, it will not stand still. It will progress to contempt. That's what Jesus said. Now, what's the difference between the two? Anger says, I want to hurt you. Contempt says, I don't care whether you're hurt or not. You're not worth my time and energy, one way or the other. You're meaningless to me. See, at least if you're angry at them, they mean enough to you to be angry at them. But when you move from anger to contempt, it's, you know, I don't give a flip what happens to you. I don't care. I don't care. You see this manifested in marriages that are going sour? Starts out a lot of anger, but then it moves into contempt. One or the other says, you know, I just, I just don't give a rip what happens to you. I'm out of here. You get in a car wreck tomorrow. God bless you. I don't care. That's contempt. Did you know that Jesus talked about contempt? Does that shock you that Jesus talked about contempt? That he moved this close down into where we live? But he's trying to extract these things from our heart so we can have a kingdom heart. Now, let me tell you what comes with contempt, guarantee you. Filthy language, derogatory terms, name-calling, all of those things come with contempt. Terrible words come out of the mouth of believers. Now, the intent of contempt, the motive, is to isolate the person, marginalize the person. It's a knife in the heart that seriously damages somebody else. If you've ever been on somebody's hit list that was contemptuous towards you, you knew it because you didn't get invited to the parties. You didn't get invited to the church gatherings. You didn't get invited to nothing. You know what they were doing? They were treating you like you did not exist. And that's contempt. Because every person in here has high value in the eyes of God. <clears throat> and Jesus said, you cannot let anger stay in you where it turns into contempt because then you're going to start really damaging people and that's not what I'm about. It hurts to be on the other side of contempt. I mean, I'd rather somebody shout at me than ignore me. Tell me what's wrong, but don't ignore me. Don't act. You ever been walking through a place like a bookstore or wherever, and you saw, you saw one of those people you had a past with, and they won't even look at you, won't even say hi to you, just move right on down like they didn't see you. Makes you want to grab them and say, I know you saw me. <laughs> That's contempt. That's contempt, and it has no place in the body of Christ. Jesus said, if you treat somebody with contempt... It's worthy of a court hearing. Woo. Really? 
be a lot of court hearings in America, wouldn't there? But Jesus mentioned one more stage in the progress of anger that can exist without actually murdering somebody. But do you see what he's doing? He's going into our heart and changing us because if these things aren't checked, our prisons are full of people who murdered somebody. But what preceded it? Anger, contempt, and this last one. He said, whoever says you fool, along with the combination of raging contempt and sizzling anger, is a deeper harm than either anger or contempt alone, if you know what fool meant in Jesus' day. I'll tell you what it meant. I can't tell you what it meant. In church, because it was vile. I can tell you what it represented if you said, you fool, the way Jesus is talking about here. It meant perverted, stupid, the worst of people. It meant wicked. It meant somebody who makes bad decisions with no thought of consequences. It was the worst thing you could call somebody, fool. If you meant what it meant in Jesus' day. To call somebody a fool, listen to how strongly Jesus put it. To call somebody a fool, meaning what the word meant. Jesus said it would justify sending the accuser to Gehenna, the smoldering garbage dump of humanity. Wow. Say what? Now, I know what you're thinking. I told Kathy, I'm not going to have people jumping up and shouting today. I didn't jump up and shout studying it. And I'm going to tell you why. I am so aware, church, that God wants our heart. And he wants to excise from us things like anger and contempt and hatred, loathing of other people. He wants our hearts to be like his heart. And so he starts out with one of the beginning issues of the human heart. One of the beginning issues of the human heart is anger. And I want you to understand, he didn't tell us this to make us feel bad. He told us this to put a problem under the microscope and bring us a level of deliverance so that our hearts are free. Can I tell you today, your heart can be free of anger. Free of anger. He said, Pastor, man, I'm really angry at somebody. It's not bigger than the grace of God. It's not bigger than the blood of Christ. It's not bigger than the word of God. It's not bigger than the power of God. It is not bigger than God himself. God can take it out. (laughs) So he says to everybody who is going to be a disciple, it says his disciples came to him on the hill and he taught them, saying to them, boys, you can't have anger. You're going to have to get out anger, get out contempt, get out hatred, get out prejudice, get out racism, get it all out. It's like spiritually throwing up. Get it out. Jesus never nursed anger. He never practiced contempt. And he never held a grudge. And he says, now I want you to take the first step up the flight of stairs to a kingdom heart. And I want you to get rid of the anger. The first step towards a kingdom heart is freedom from anger. 
Well, pastor, how do I do it? Next week. I don't have time. (laughs) But next week we're going to talk about the second hardest thing I know anything about, forgive others. And don't you dare dodge church because I'm going to step on your toe. I'm not going to step on your toe. Jesus is going to minister to your heart. We need to be free. Now, can you imagine a church like this full of free hearts where when people walk in, even somebody from back then who once gave you the look, and they come walking in. They probably will. They come walking in, and there's the one that gave you the look. Isn't it great to know that you can look at them and say, Hallelujah, it's so good to see you. Man, I've been praying for you. Ah, Give me a great big hug. Can we stand together today? Next Sunday um, is Palm Sunday. No, it's the week after. I'll tell you, buckle your seatbelts because we're going to be talking about forgiveness next time and then the next time, the lust issue. Jesus talked about your eyes, but really about your heart. Everybody turns away when I say that. Stare at the ground. You know, let God meddle with you. Let him, let him touch your heart. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for these precious people. That they're all called to discipleship, apprenticeship. But Lord, anger, an angry heart can stand in the way of what you want to do with us. And if we follow you, we know that it's got to be dealt with. It's got to come out. If we're going to have your heart. I believe every person here, Lord, wants your heart. I believe every one of them do. And I pray that you will grant us the heart of God. Now, with every head bowed, I want to pray with you. If you can say, Pastor, I struggle with anger. I'm not going to call you down to the front, but I want to pray for you where you are. I struggle with anger. I'm an angry person. And I need to lay it down. I need help. I want you to raise your hand. All over this place. Father, I pray that you will excise that anger. That you will move on them by the grace of God, the word of God, the blood of Christ. The power of your spirit. And as we look at these hard sayings of Jesus, that Lord, hearts will be set free to be like yours. Deliver them of their anger, their grudges, their unforgivenesses, their bitterness. Deliver them. In Jesus' name. Now will you pray and say, Lord, deliver me. Deliver me. We're going to sing one song to worship the Lord. I want you to take a minute and I want you to pray. This has been a searching message, I know. But I want you to pray as we sing. Go ahead and lead us, Jeff. Thank you, Lord.